So many scholars divide the life of Moses into three equal segments. They think that he lived 40 years as a prince in Egypt, in the royal house there. They think that he spent about 40 years in exile as a shepherd, and that he spent the final 40 years of his life leading his people out of slavery and into the promised land. And so as we come back and to look in the windows of the life of Moses this morning, we're, we're probably seeing someone who is in their eighth, maybe ninth, or even tenth decade of life. You know, Moses is no longer a young man by our standards, or certainly not by the standards of his day. And what we saw last week when Jeff shared with us was uh, the ultimate low point of Moses' life and leadership. The people that he had led out of slavery, out of torment, had forgotten about him rather quickly, I might say, and had turned their worship away from the God that had set them free and pointed their worship towards an idol that they made from their own jewelry. And this morning we're going to see the aftermath of those events, and we want to see if we can draw some encouragement, but also some lessons away from the life of Moses at this lowest of the low points. So would you guys join me in praying for just a moment? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Moses. I pray that everything that I'm about to speak would be honoring to you. If it's of my flesh, God, would you strip it away? But if it's of you, would you teach us and give us ears to hear? Amen. So if you're holding a Bible or your smartphone with your favorite Bible app on it, I'd encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. And just as a reminder, if you're a version user on smartphones, uh, every Sunday morning we run a live event that gives you the scriptures that we're going to be looking at this morning, discussion notes for your group time, as well as places for you to take your own notes. So I would encourage you uh, to join in that with us, whether you're here in Mount Pleasant or in Alma or joining us online. So as we get into chapter 33 of Exodus, uh, the Lord is fuming with the people of Israel. And rightfully so, because last week again, we saw that they had just turned their hearts towards this thing that they had made. And at the very end of chapter 32, Jeff didn't get a chance to get into it much, the Lord actually sends a plague on his people as a consequence for their idolatry. And that's a pretty rough thing to hear. That God's judgment, because they offended his holiness, his righteousness, is a plague on them. The anger that God is experiencing and is showing in chapter 33 is a bit more subtle. It actually starts with the way that he talks about his people. You see, he tells Moses to take the people of God away from Mount Horeb. They've been camped there for about a year, and he wants them to start traveling on towards the promised land finally. They're like, yes, finally, we get to get out of this wilderness But when God speaks to Moses, he tells him, instead of calling them my people Israel, like he has almost every time since Moses first went and spoke to Pharaoh, he calls them the people who you, Moses, let out of slavery. The people who you let out of Egypt, take them. And to understand what that's like, think about being a parent, and you've been at work all day, And you come home from work, and your spouse or the babysitter says, let me tell you what your children have been up to today. You know, if you get to that point, whether you're on the receiving end as the one who's misbehaving, as the one who's gotten so frustrated with the behavior of those that you're watching, or if you're the one walking in the door, you know something has gone horribly wrong at that point. 
And this is how God starts to speak about the people. They're not his people anymore. They're Moses' people. Moses, you led them out. Now they're yours. And God continues to show his displeasure with them because he actually tells Moses, hey, my plan to take you to the promised land, slight adjustment. Actually, going forward, instead of me going with you in this cloud and the fire, I'm just going to send an angel ahead of you. I can't go with you anymore. And the reason that he says he can't go with them, it's found in Exodus 33.5. It says, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. And as harsh as that sounds, as hard as that is for us to hear, this is actually the Lord being concerned for his people. Even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of their idolatry, he still cares for them. He's actually telling them, because you are so stubborn, because you're so disobedient, because you're so prone to sinfulness, I can't go with you. You continue to offend my holiness, and it would actually be better for you to go with an angel than for me to go with you anymore. The angel can tolerate your mess. I can't anymore. Because if I go with you, I'm going to end up wiping you out. And it's, this is a hard thing for us to hear as modern people, right? But we have to understand what God is doing in this situation. He is trying to create for himself a representation people on earth. And he's setting them on a trajectory to be the representative of his character, of his goodness, of his likeness in the world. And every time they screw up, they're moving that trajectory, a degree here, a degree here, and a degree here. And so God's judgment, his correction, the plague, his threat of destruction is actually to bring them back to true center. And it feels really hard for us. But we have to think about the eternal consequences, the lifetime consequences of when they mess up, if they don't get corrected, what's going to happen to God's representation here on earth? And so we see Moses a couple of times in Exodus 33 that he is just interceding with God. He is arguing with God with all the boldness and all of the like, bravery that he can manage. And his plea is basically, God, we don't want you to go away from us. Please be with us. And he was trying to turn God's heart back to his people in the same way that it was before they worshipped these idols. He's trying to fight for God to be near the people of Israel. But we're not so different from those people, are we? As Jeff shared last week, it's so quick that our hearts can get turned off course. It's so quick that we can fall into our own forms of idolatry. But in other ways, we are so blessed and different from those people of Israel because we live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we get to relate to God not as covenant children like Moses, but of adopted sons and daughters who can draw near to him. And it's because of this death and resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he sent his spirit. And while the Holy Spirit dwells in every single one of us, who calls himself a follower of Christ, there is this sad truth that the Spirit of God can either be a real, a powerful, and potent, and present thing in our life, or it can be an afterthought. And we need to take our leanings, our leading from Moses this morning. We actually need to be constantly crying out, Lord, be near to us. We need to put our focus, our main aim in life, to walking near to God. 
So I want us to take a few lessons from this low point of Moses' life this morning and to make us into a people who prioritize God's presence. So the first thing we want to keep our eyes on is this. We want to check our motivations. We want to check our motivations. Because here's what happens. Right from the outset of chapter 33 in Exodus, the Lord comes to Moses, and he's still angry. But he says, Moses, I'm not going to go with you anymore. But here's the thing. I'm still going to keep every promise that I've made to your people. I made a covenant with Abraham, and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to give you the land that he saw. I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to give you that land that's going to be your provision, your inheritance. It's still good. It's still flowing with milk and honey. I'm still going to send an angel ahead of you to drive out your enemies. I am not breaking any of that. And Moses is like, oh, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. You're angry with us, and you're still going to do everything you promised. That's awesome. But then comes the catch. Exodus 33, verse 11, the Lord says to Moses, but I will not go with you. And I have to ask the question this morning, if God came to you today as you left this church and he said, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to give you your heart's desire. I'm going to give you a great house, a great career, rest for your family, peace from conflict. I'm going to give you power and influence and greatness and authority over people on the earth. Oh, but I'm not going to give you my presence. I have to wonder if that would stir something up in us and, and maybe even be an attractive offer. Because it's so easy when we get our heart's desire caught up in the things of this world to be content to miss out on God's presence. It's so common for us to go after God and be near to him when we need something from him. And how often do we find ourselves praying for God's intervention, for his, his presence, his closeness to us, when it benefits us in some way or it benefits our family? How much more difficult is it to be contented, to be in his presence, to be seeking after his face, when our benefit is just God? It's just him being close to us. But there's like an opposite truth as well that can happen about our motivations. It's actually this well-intentioned but maybe selfish desire where we actually want more of God's presence. We want to see the Spirit of God move in our life, but the motivation is still left of center. It's not true. We want to see more of God's presence so that we can be noteworthy. So people can look at us and say, oh, they're, they're powerful with the Lord. And that's something, as I look back over my life as a believer, as a younger man, that was, that was a motivation of mine. Full confession time. I wanted to see more of God's power in my life. I wanted to hear God's voice more clearly. I wanted to pray for people and see them made well. I wanted to show up in places and change the atmosphere of the room because of the presence of God with my life. But it wasn't because I really wanted to see what God was going to do in and through me. It was because people around me had that gift. That God was doing it in their lives, and I was jealous. I wanted to be notable like they were. I wasn't content with God's presence and just the sake of him being near to me. I wanted him to use me like he used others around me, instead of being okay with the plans he had for my life. There's this account in, in John's Gospel where Jesus is sitting down with Peter. And I have to imagine it's like over a fire and it's just the two of them and they're sitting very close, like face to face. And Jesus is telling Peter, 
here's what I want to, to do with you for the rest of your life. And he asked him this question, like, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And he says it to him three times. It's, it's so intense. I just, I get this picture of just like, okay, Lord, I, I get it. Like, I'm going to feed your sheep. I'm going to take care of your people. And it's God and in the person of Jesus just speaking purpose and calling and commission over Peter's life. And then in a moment, Peter's not content with his own purpose and calling. He sees John walking by just a little ways away. Instead of just reveling in the face of the one who's giving him all this purpose and all of this just calling over his life, he's like, hey, Jesus, what about John? What are you going to do with him? It's one of those moments where you just want to like smack your head at the disciples, but we're the same way. And Jesus' response to Peter is, what is it to you? What is it to you what I do in somebody else? Here's what I'm calling you to do. Can we be trusting in God that he wants to use us for his purposes in his way rather than worrying about how it's going to look for others? Can we be confident in having God's presence near to us? Not for anything that he can do for us and to us, but just because he wants to be near to us. There's a theologian by the name of Ligon Duncan. There's a name for you. And he's the chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, and he has this quote that I love. He says, The greatest blessing we have is God himself. And one of the sublimest enjoyments we can have of him is the assurance of his presence and his nearness and his concern and his favor. The greatest enjoyment we can have of him is his presence, his nearness, his concern, and his favor. The second thing we want to learn from Moses in this low point of his life is that we need to develop a friendship with the Lord. See, as we go on further into Exodus 33, the writing actually changes a little bit. And there's this moment that it goes from this narrative of God and Moses having this dialogue back and forth. And God's telling Moses what he's going to do with the people. And then there's like this little biblical rabbit trail. And it's like, here's what Moses used to do. He used to go set up a tent outside a camp. And they called it the tent of meeting. And when God would want to go meet with Moses, Moses would leave the camp. And the cloud would come down and rest at the entrance to the tent. And Moses would meet with God. And it feels really out of place as it's this argument between the Lord and Moses. But in the middle there of that section, in verse 11, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Face to face as one speaks to a friend. This is the level of intimacy and presence that Moses had with God. He knew him face to face. And the sad fact was that this nearness that Moses had with God was in such stark contrast to how the people of God related to him. See, Moses would go and meet in the tent, but because of the people's sin, he had moved his presence out of the center of their life and out of the center of their camp, and they had broken the relationship with God because of their disobedience and their faithlessness. And when we have this little aside here, we start to see some parallels and some foreshadowing that point us towards Jesus. We see that Moses is the one who meets with God face to face and he gets God's word and he brings it back to the people and he is their mediator. He is the one who intercedes on their behalf and he makes a way for the people of God not to be destroyed 
But being face-to-face, it's limited to Moses and his assistant Joshua. But we see in Jesus that we have a better mediator. Because that intimacy, that face-to-face friendship that we have with God, it comes for everyone who believes in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. And he's talking about how Jesus establishes a better covenant. It's a better promise than the one that Moses had. And how much greater the way that Jesus made this covenant was than the one the Old Testament used. And how Jesus is a greater mediator. And he's alluding to this moment a little bit later on in Exodus where Moses goes up on the mountain and he meets with God for 40 days. And he's just in God's presence for 40 days. And when he comes down the mountain, because he's been so close to God, his face is literally glowing. It's shining. And the people of Israel are like, Moses, your face is freaking us out. We can't handle God's glory. We can't handle his radiance. Put something over your face because we can't take it. And I have to imagine that it just reminded them of their sin all the time. But every time they saw Moses' radiant face, they were reminded of their sin. So they couldn't take it. But Paul, he's alluding to this moment. And he says in 2 Corinthians 3, We're not like Moses, who had to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And then a little bit later he says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This picture of removing the veil, it's this representative of return to that face-to-face intimacy with God because that's where Moses would lift the veil is when he went into the tent to meet with the Lord, he would uncover his face. And this is the inheritance that we have as adopted sons and daughters of God. We have the promise of Jesus, the better mediator than Moses, because Moses' intimacy, the closeness that he shared was his alone. But through Jesus, all have access to him. And we have this privilege of speaking face-to-face with God through his Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of speaking to God like a friend. And we don't have to go through sacrifice, and we don't have to go through some other mediator to do it. God gives that to each of us. The third thing we want to learn from Moses is that we need to be different. Exodus 33, verse 15 and 16. And Moses said to him, he's speaking to the Lord here, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people on the face of the earth? You see, Moses' great conviction was that if God didn't go with them, then they would not be a distinct people. They would not be a people who were separated, who were set apart. And Moses wanted God's presence to set them apart from everyone else in the region that they were traveling to. He had seen them want the ways of Egypt. He had seen them want the ways of the people as they traveled through the wilderness. And he wanted them to be God's people. He wanted them to be set apart And this is the like pinnacle, the culmination of this entire dialogue that Moses is having with the Lord. If you don't go with us, what will make us different? What will set us apart? How will anybody know that we're yours if you're not with us? And this feels like to me the statement that rings the most true from this entire book of Exodus for the people of God today. 
God, if you're not with us, if your spirit is not powerful and alive with us, how are we any different from anyone else walking around on the face of the earth today? What is going to set us apart? We see in the book of Acts that we have this New Testament church that's recorded as almost like the high water benchmark of the move of the Spirit of God. And it sets the church apart as a distinctive people. We saw the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts come like wind and like fire, empower the believers to speak other languages that they didn't know. It gave the church the power to preach the gospel and to see thousands saved when they preached the gospel. They performed signs and wonders. They healed the sick. They helped people give sacrificially out of their abundance and out of their lacking. It gave them supernatural wisdom to understand the scriptures and communicate it effectively. It gave them faith and boldness. It sent them out to the ends of the known world. The Spirit of God allowed them to endure persecution. And it gave the church such a remarkable amount of love for one another and for people who were forgotten and downtrodden and broken and marginalized that 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 became the hallmark of the church. That they were known because of how much they loved and cared for everyone. And this is just a few examples of what the Spirit of God did as he moved in the church. This is what allowed the early church to be completely set apart. There was actually, if you read in Acts, like people were afraid of the church in like a holy fear kind of way because there was so much of God's power with them. They didn't know what to make of them. And so the question is, if God hasn't changed and the Spirit of God hasn't changed, And the promise of God to his people hasn't changed. And why do we have so many people who call themselves followers of Jesus walking around lacking distinction? Why are we lacking in distinction? I'd say it's because we've let a standard of life that includes occasional church attendance, cracking open our Bible once in a while and praying before meals, managing our behavior so that nobody knows what's going on inside of us, be the standard of what a good Christian life looks like. That's what we have made the standard of following Jesus to be. We so easily settle for being good, for being kind, or being nice, instead of being distinct, instead of being filled up with the power and the Spirit of God. And we give far more credence to the Joneses next door and the fantasy land on social media and the American dream than we do the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But the problem when we set up this false benchmark of being good as our standard is that it doesn't take much for you to recall somebody, maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or a relative, who has no conception of a relationship with Jesus, who is more kind, who is more generous, who is less judgmental, and who probably lives a better life to that standard than many of the Christians you know walking around. 
And we measure against the standard in a wrong way like this. We trade away our God-given responsibility to bring the kingdom to earth. And we settle for managing our appearances and hoping we're not as bad as the person next door. And the truth is, this church and this community and this country and Please, God, right now, this world needs people whose nearness to God and their attentiveness to his spirit make them different. That the way that we love and serve people makes us different. We need people who walk by the Holy Spirit so that this face-to-face friendship that they have with the Lord makes them distinct in their selflessness and in their compassion that they're gifted with supernatural leadership. And it's not for my own good or your good, it's for the glory of the one who made us. Because church, we are way too casual with how we relate to God. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we are way too casual about this fact. And what I want to invite you to do, actually, is is would you just stand for a moment if you're able? Whether you're here in Mount Pleasant or you're joining us in Alma or online, stand right where you're at if you're able. And if you would, just close your eyes for a second. And I want us just to wait in the presence of God. Because there's nothing special about the space that we're meeting in that makes God present. It's actually the fact that we're here seeking after him. And I want us to consider this. That when Moses first encountered God in a burning bush that wasn't burned up, he took off his sandals because he knew the place that he was standing was holy ground. And when God finally set up the practice of the tabernacle for the people of Israel, he set apart priests, and their only job was to minister before the Lord. And before they would do that, they would prepare in such a fantastic way that they would scrub their entire bodies clean. And they would put on the finest clothes that you could imagine for the day. And they would keep themselves from sin as much as humanly possible. And then to cover up their sin that they did do, they would sacrifice animals. Because the blood was the atonement for their sin. And then, and only then, would they go into God's presence. We saw when Isaiah, the prophet, first encountered the Lord, His first and only thought was to fall down, and he shouted, I am ruined. I'm undone. Because I'm an unclean man. And he knew that he had no business being in God's presence. When Saul is going down the road to Damascus and the spirit of Jesus shows up to chastise him for persecuting his church, he and everyone with him falls to the ground and they're rendered speechless because of the glory of the Lord. 
if you're someone who believes in Jesus this morning, the promise to you is that God himself, by his Holy Spirit, is alive and active and living inside of you. And that thought should wreck us. We should want to fall on our faces and hide because of our shame. Because on our own, we have no business being in the presence of a holy God. But for the cross, but for Jesus, Not only does that Holy Spirit want to live in you, He wants to lead us and speak to us and empower us, give us comfort and guidance and patience. He wants to make us better parents and spouses and leaders, all for the glory of God. If we would only attend to the Holy Spirit, if we would only give Him as much attention so we gave the most important thing of our life. It would mark us and change us and give us powerful power to live a life that is noteworthy and different and needed by this world right now. So I want to pray for us. And if you need to be seated, that's fine. But I would encourage you, if you can, just to stay standing. And I'm not going to lie. Like, if you genuinely agree in prayer, if you engage with these words I'm about to pray, I feel like God is saying that this could seriously wreck your reality. I actually sat on the floor last night right here in the front of this room and argued with the Lord to do something safer, <laughs> to close this service. And I did not win that argument. And so if you want to receive, if you want to engage, I just encourage you to put your hands out as a sign of surrender, as a sign of receiving. And I just want to pray over us. Holy Spirit, would you come? God, we know that you're present, but would you come in a fresh way? God, would you come and fill us up, God? Would you make us like Moses, God? Would you make us aware of your holiness? God, would you make us like Jeremiah? Would you undo us in your presence? Would you make us desperate for your nearness, God? Would you give us eyes to see what you are doing in this world and ears to hear where you're leading us? And would you give us the power to join you in that work, God, not trying to manufacture something on our own, but to join you where you're at? Lord, would you put a fresh heart in us? Would you break off the places where our hearts are hard and give us a heart of flesh, God, a soft heart, ready to be full of the things that you care about. Got a heart for the hurting, a heart for the lonely, a heart for the different, a heart for the vulnerable, a heart for the hard to love. 
God, would you make us care less about ourselves and care more about others? God, would you help us to put our interests behind your interests, God? Father, would you help us to choose a risk for your kingdom over security? Would you help us to choose obedience to your will and your word over our safety? Father, would you give us a heart of compassion instead of a heart of judgment? Would you help us to choose generosity over selfishness, God? Would you help us to choose service over consumption and forgiveness over bitterness, Father? Spirit of God, would you come fill us up so that we can be marked by your presence? So we can be marked like Moses with a radiant face, God. That people can tell when we've been hanging out with you because you just come off of us like the glowing face of Moses. And would we not hide it behind a veil, Father? Would we shine it bright? Would we radiate it onto others? Would you help us to be changed by your great love and your great compassion for us? We love you. We need you, God. We want you. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So I, um, I did not plan this moment right here, but here's the sense that I have right now, is that um, there's some folks who, who really want to be ministered to, uh, who, who are feeling like undone and feeling like I need to to really step into what God's calling me to in this moment. And so if I have staff uh, or elders um, or past elders that are in the room, if I could get you guys just to kind of hang out over on the sides, and if that's you, like you genuinely want to respond to God's call this morning, would you go just chat with one of those people, have them pray over you, have them encourage you. Uh, And if you're joining us in Alma, the team down there would love to do the same for you. And if you're online with us, Um, type into the chat and we will have somebody connect with you either today or this week for sure. I just trust that God was wanting to do something with folks today. Uh, And so I'm going to dismiss you if you want to go. But if you genuinely want a time of ministry, uh, just come down to the front and we'll, we'll dismiss together. Be blessed and have a great week.